You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Alhamdulillah. News. Uh, we have uh, none other than a member of parliament, the leader of the NFP, popular member of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'a, adding value to politics and many other things. Ahmad Mandur Sheikh Imam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And Jazakallah khair for joining us on the platform of Marcus Sahaba. How are you doing this? Walaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All is well, alhamdulillah. Of course, we have local news, first of all, I think, for the wrong reasons. Uh, as you are aware, that there's been a lot of Christmas babies, they say, that has been born. But once again, the highlight is the fact that a lot of children that were born were born of children. I mean, if you look at in the 2022-23 year, the number of, in fact, 88, over 88,000 children that are at school had actually given birth. And if you look at the statistics, it's actually shocking because last year it was 91,000 children that gave birth, but of them, 88,000 were still at school. And a lot of them that gave birth was between the ages of 10 to 14. KwaZulu Natal alone in the last year had given 544 children the ages of 10 to 14 alone. Gauteng had 383 children, 10 to 14. Eastern Cape, 317. So you can look at it, Western Cape, 245. You can look at the number of children that are giving birth to children. Now, of the entire 91,000 that have been, look at the number of them from 10-year-olds that are giving birth. And we believe that we are in control of what is happening in the country. We're deploying more police officers, and we think that is going to solve the problem. You know, strange enough, in the Eastern Cape alone, you would find only 60 out of the 317 children that gave birth to children had there been some kind of arrest to investigate what has actually happened. So really, I think, you know, unless we deal with this child, you know, uh, giving birth, it's going to be a serious problem because this is where the dysfunctional society starts from. These children are in no position to be mothers. They are children themselves. They will hand over those children to grandparents and anyone and everyone, which gives rise, remember, to to, uh, sexual abuse, uh, murders, rapes of children. Uh, These children end up, you know, in a society where they will take to the consumption of alcohol, drugs and things. And uh, so, again, you know, uh, the Department of Social Development talks about addressing it. But I think the Department of Basic Education should also come in because 88,000 of these children left away from school children. Anyway, that's one of the issues. The other one is, of course, uh, accidents. There's been so many accidents with fatalities this year, including a member of parliament, uh, uh, Honorable Mtembu in KwaZulu-Natal, who also died in an accident. But very importantly, the number, if you look at the family of four, 
uh, Molana from Peter Maritzburg, that also died with his entire, well, not his entire family, his wife and his two kids. And uh, yes, indeed, you know, the number of accidents. And I think there are a lot of contributing factors, Brother Shepherd. One is the quality of the roads. Number two is the adverse weather conditions. More importantly, alcohol, reckless and negligent driving, speeding. These are all contributing factors. And of course, let us not forget the heavy-duty vehicles on the road. And these heavy-duty vehicles, more often than not, they travel in convoys. And drivers get tired. It's fatigue fatigue when you have to follow these. Our roads are not conducive for long-distance travel, for heavy-duty vehicles. And that's another one that's actually compounding the problem. What we find is that uh, drivers, particularly motorists, uh, find themselves uh, following these convoy of trucks and that's when they decide to take risks because they get tired following these things, these vehicles. And they don't even leave a gap between them so that when you're overtaking, you can overtake one. They sometimes travel in a convoy of four, five, six vehicles, and it makes it difficult. And when people overtake, they're putting themselves at great risk. And that is why you'd find that when there are accidents of this nature, Almost entirely, you'd find that the heavy-duty vehicles are also involved in these things. But um, I don't know, perhaps, uh, I don't know if our system allows it, but I also think that during festive season, long weekends and things, heavy-duty vehicles should not be on the road, or they should only be allowed to be driving during the day. They need to put some restrictions. Of course, the ideal would be to go back to the rail system, uh, and keep heavy-duty vehicles long distance out of the road. Remember that the road, uh, the rail network that we've once enjoyed in this country, which I see it's coming back, but I think that's just the passenger rail for now, that will go a long way in actually uh, uh, keeping heavy-duty vehicles off the road. Remember, these heavy-duty drivers have another problem. They get paid per load. So they are rushing from one province to the other province, one destination to another destination, get back, to, you know, do another load. So, that, you know, that is what motivates them. And that's another problem. So there is not enough measures in place to ensure that these people are resting. Now, I've been told that abroad, particularly in the U.S., not that I'd like to use them as an example for anything, but uh, I'm told that every certain kilometers you have to stop. There is a system that you go into so that you like log into so they can track the period of time you've been driving with or without a rest. And, uh, you know, so there's consequences if you do not comply. These are some of the things that, you know, we need to do as far as uh, uh, accidents are concerned. Of course, Itegwini municipality, on the other hand, who can't supply, let me repeat, can't supply water to its people. Many of them have got no water tank. They've been using Jojo tanks. Now they want to put restrictions as far as the Jojo tanks are concerned. They, <clears throat> they are in a pro as far as that is concerned. They said they will identify all those homes who have Jojo tanks and restrict the supply of water to these tanks and things. So really, when it comes to Itegwini, Brother Shepherd, there's no 
it's just no win situation as far as uh, they are actually concerned. International no, news. Okay, let's go. Before, before you go to the international news, uh, let's interrogate a few scenarios. You mean to say if I have a Jojo tank, it's been raining, mashallah, for the past week, and that tank is a bit, uh, virtually a 10,000-liter tank overflowing all the time, the water is fresh, uh, you know, as it ever was. You can feed your chicken, you can wash your floors, or you can use it for a cistern and so forth. But uh, will they? how can they stop you from collecting rainwater in your Jojo tanks, Ahmed? Well, according to them, it's not the rainwater. They don't have a problem with that. They have a problem that with the Jojo tanks that you have, the supply of water okay. is coming from one of their reservoirs, which is restricting the supply to others. So there's no equal supply to everybody because of your filling up your tanks so that is preferred where water is going first into your reservoir before it is distributed to everybody else. That is what the argument and, and uh, that they are raising. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, what they are forgetting is this, that we are in the situation because they brought us to where we are today. And if you remember, when I was a counselor, what, 12 years ago, they, uh, the water loss was at about 20, between 27 and 35%. Today, the water is sitting, uh, water loss is about 56%. Can you imagine more than half of the water that comes out is getting wasted and going back into the ground because you are not able to deal with the maintenance of your infrastructure. Now, instead of rather dealing with that problem, that is, I said, you know, even when you have these floodings and things, and you provide them with disaster relief, you're actually helping them to go and deal with, instead of the uh, disaster relief being for emergency use, they are using it to, you know, reconstruct the entire infrastructure, something that they have neglected over the last 20, 30 years. So, you know, uh, uh, and even that with the amount of money that goes astray in terms of not getting value for money, uh, corruption and embezzlement, you know, very little money really goes towards the delivery of service. In the entire country, Brother Shavit, if you look at the money that goes to the administration of this country, you know, and, and break it right down together with exactly the money that staff salaries, wages, administration, transport, uh, uh, maintenance of its buildings, uh, uh, you know, VIP vehicles and bodyguards and from MECs and ministers. Take everything into consideration. You would find a very small percentage of money actually goes to the delivery of services. That is why your majority of your money should be going there yet the other way around. So that it's, it's for that reason you find that we are not able to provide a satisfactory service. And local governments, particularly, which is the heartbeat of the delivery of services, are not self-sufficient and they're making no attempt to become self-sufficient. They're relying on handouts from government as well. Now, many of these local municipalities have advantages of a beautiful agricultural land. Some have coal mines and other mining industries, you know. Uh, uh, so some are in strategic positions. Some have tourist, uh, uh, you know, attraction. So they can do something to turn them around on their own. 
taking investment there as far as the manufacturing sectors and things. But they choose not to do that. They're quite happy to just receive the handouts. And from that handouts, also a lot of money is looted. So there's very little that goes on to the delivery of services. And that is why you can expect that the, 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 the quality of service to deteriorate uh, to the extent it will become non-existent at some stage. You know, and uh, the second point on interrogate is that you're talking about uh, the arousal of being uh, sexually active at a very young age in this country. Perhaps it's uh, alcoholism or the uh, freely available availability of pornography and so forth. And, uh, you know, no restrictions put on that. And uh, if you're looking at the syllabus or the education system, uh, you know, kids that were innocent kids that should be playing in the fields, should be enjoying the birds, the bees or making plasticine or even enjoying clay or climbing up the trees, eating mangoes and leeches, but they are being uh, driven to a direction or the whisperings of shaitan at a very at a level where they should be, uh, you know, conscientized to be on the straight and narrow and, uh, you know, morally sound. Your thoughts, uh, Ahmad? Well, first of all, you know, I always say child is a child is a child. <laughs> but it seems like the children are growing faster than even the parents are growing. Because the f- parents that come from the old school, okay, are still far behind when it comes to technology. And you are correct in the observation as far as the media. It's from what you see on the media, pornography and all this kind of stuff. And, and so the children actually are advancing at a much rapid pace compared to the parents. Now, the problem is where does the, this problem lie can we not get to the origin of this problem? And that is the dysfunctional state of society. You know, uh, that is why I say even with all the police that they want to deploy, that's not going to solve the problem. You can't have a police going and guarding every house to ensure there's no gender-based violence, there's no sexual activities taking place between children. Now, a school is a place for education, for sports, for activities. Not for sexual activities, but can you imagine 88,000 children gave birth, school children? Now, where is that heading to? So we need to start right at the grassroots level to ask ourselves, what is going wrong? Why is it going wrong? When did it go wrong? Where did it go wrong? You know, so that we can identify the root causes and deal with it. Now, if you have and let and, and if you look at the statistics, and these are about two years old, 78% of black children are not fathers, are not in the lives of their children. 56% of colored children and fathers are not in the lives of their children. 23% of white fathers are not in the lives of their children. And 13% of Indian children, their fathers are not in their lives. So these children are being brought up by single parents. And those single parents, Brother Shepard, have to go out and work. Many of them even work seven days a week. Do they have any time to pay attention to the children, where they are? Are they going to school? What are they doing when they get back? No. When that mother comes home, right, and she's got a handful already after a long day's work, clean up the place, cook for the children, feed them, put them off to bed, go get up in the next morning, same routine. These are some of the root causes. Taverns are open 24 hours. And who is causing that? Politicians are causing it because the liquor license is allowing them to 2 o'clock 
the local authorities making it 24 hours. In fact, taverns and shibin should never be allowed in a residential area. No. Uh, so so, so mm. we are actually causing that. There's no growth in the country. There's no job creation. You're importing everything into the country and you're expecting the, to have a boom as far as economic growth. More and more people are sitting at home, unemployed. You know, Brother Shepherd, what the textile uh, uh, clothing industry, that's the term we used to use, and the shoe industry in Durban and, and Cape Town and other areas, it's all coming to a standstill. You know, we, we, uh, we can look at all these uh, scenarios uh, that are coming through and it uh, seems as if, you know, the West, uh, this is how they have uh, they've taken out uh, the queen of the castle, the mother, you know, we always uh, say this, it is in the laps of our mothers uh, that the future generation is reared. And uh, the absent uh, mother, absent father, the, ap- the syndrome where, you know, it was a happy family syndrome is taken out of the equation. Uh, they actually encourage uh, the, uh, you know, uh, single parent uh, way. They encourage people to get divorced. Uh, the type of, uh, you know, entertainment they put off, they run each other down. They don't uh, allow couples to respect each other. They actually teach uh, couples to look for the slightest excuse to get divorced. They uh, make children into uh, super brats, not just brats. Uh, even you look at the cartoons, uh, full of violence, full of, uh, you know, uh, ugly words or words uh, that are, uh, you know, the superlatives that they use is a uh, downright vulgarity. So all these things, uh, I'm a, you know, you can see even how they carry on uh, with the, you know, Islam and the teachings of Islam and how they fear the Muslim uh, theology and so forth, that uh, they have uh, managed to program some people to uh, identify Islam. Ma'azallah, we know this is not true as a demonic, uh, dangerous religion that will take you back to the Stone Age. Ahmed, your thoughts? Well, first of all, yes, uh, I must agree with you. It's the Western civilization. Anything that is destructive, divisive, uh, uh, causes chaos, mayhem, benefits these people. And that's why they introduce these things. Uh, And, of course, our vulnerable people fall into the trap. But then the question is, where is the family values that was inculcated into our families, the way we were brought up? I give you an example which we've repeatedly spoken about. If a child came from school and was disciplined by his teacher, we disciplined them at home again. Now we decide, no, we don't discipline our child. Our child is an angel. We're going to discipline the teacher. To some extent, teachers are even being killed. Can you imagine how difficult it is for these educators or teachers to be able to teach children that come from dysfunctional homes? I've heard repeatedly how children are seven, eight, nine-year-old telling the teachers, I'm wasting my time coming to school. I'm going to be a gangster. And you can, the, when you hear them how abusive they are in school, they don't listen to the educators and the teachers. But... Again, it's a society that is being created and we are allowing it. Now, the emphasis in Africa particularly has not been on religion. There was no really religion between them. Okay, until the colonialists brought and and this religious thing into them to the extent that, um, you know, 
uh, uh, in fact, in, in, to cause division and mayhem. That is basically what they've done. But even if there is religion today, why are we not consistent? Because the religion teaches you certain values. But we are deviating from religion, we're deviating from culture, we're deviating from tradition. And then they make it look like culture and tradition is a serious problem. No, you talk about human rights. So they say culture, religion and tradition violates your human rights. Just look at how the wording, how they worded this thing to be able to manipulate people into believing that religion, tradition and culture violates your human rights. You have human rights which must come over and above that. Now, you know, even in the African culture, when an adult comes in, a child does not sit. The child stands up. It, does that happen today? No, it doesn't happen. So that's the problem we are sitting with. We are moving away from our value system. And they are, of course, promoting all this uh, uh, stuff on particularly uh, mainstream media through... And remember, if you notice something, do you ever hear anybody going to movies anymore, Brother Schiff? No. Hardly anybody's going to movies. Everything is on, the, on your TV today. And everything you can change to any channel you want. Okay? What does it teach you? Look at all these so-called soapies and things that they talk about on, 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 that you watch. Everything teaches you to be with one, to be. You talk about divorce, absolutely correct. What do you see in these soapies? Everybody's had a turn to marry everybody there. Everybody has a turn to have an affair with everybody there. That is what the soapies teach you, if you look at some of these soapies. So, again, everything that they're promoting is the root cause as to why we are where we are, because we're falling into that trap. Where is that family life people used to enjoy? You don't even have the time for it anymore. Where you used to be, at least on a Sunday or so, everything used to be shut and people had an opportunity to spend time with their families, you know, so that they could gel, they could have a meal together, have some fun, go to the parks. and There's nothing of that sort anymore. In fact, the only one that might have that opportunity is is those that are, you know, not even the average person is able to do that because everybody is like a rat race. Go to work, come back, prepare, feed, wash, clean, eat, shower, sleep, get back morning, same. This is the problem we're having. So there is no family unity. There's no family get-together. There's very little time to even love. You understand there's very little time to even sit down and ask your children, where were you today? What did you do? What happened in school? Nothing. There is, it's not there. So until we go back to our roots, it's not going to get better. It's going to get progressively worse over a period of time. And that is what is the root cause of why we have dysfunctional families. I mean, Parents are not even there when the children are going to parties, 12-year-old, 13-year-old are going out to the clubs and the parties. You understand? And also, if you look at the state of the quality of parenthood, the quality of parenthood today, 
You can't tell your child not to drink if you drink. You can't tell your child not to take drugs and you take drugs. You can't tell your child to not to commit gender-based violence. Because if the child lives that experience, that is exactly what that child is going to take back to his or her home. And that is why you'd find. But let me also tell you some of the things that we've learned in the last couple of weeks. I was at Limpopo, where I visited many police stations. And one of the things that came out very clear, every police station we go, alcohol, taverns and shibins is the number one reason for crime. Everywhere you go. Number two, it's foreign nationals that are involved in all these criminal activities, illegal mining. Of course, that's restricted to areas. But let me tell you what is coming out very clear, Brother Sheffield. That girls are going out with boys to these taverns and things. They party, okay, they have enough alcohol and things. And then they demand money from these guys. And when the guys don't give them money, they are coming to the police stations and charging them for rape, sexual assault, and things like that. It's on the rise. They've had agreements. They've had understanding. They've done what they've done. And now they come there. They're accusing these people. To such an extent, if you look at the attention in the country, the focus is on men. Everybody believes men are trash. All these NGOs, NPOs, government institutions, all are uh, men are trash. Men are the only perpetrators of gender-based violence. That is the way it seems like. And that is not the case. I keep reminding them that every man, no man is born a rapist or a murderer. No. Or a woman basher. You need to, and that every man comes from some woman. So he's somebody's son, right? Some woman's son. Some woman's brother, right? Let's ask ourselves, what is going on? Why is it going wrong? Where is it going on? How did it go wrong? Let's get to the root. That is why I said mothers too need to be responsible when they choose fathers for their children. Don't just go out to the tavern and choose any man, fall pregnant, and that's it. So we need to take equal responsibility for what is actually going on. I'm not defending the men. Yes, men should be more responsible. I mean, I always grew up with the understanding that men had the responsibility to provide food, clothing, and shelter. And it's there, even from a Sharia point of view, the man is the provider. But that is not happening today. Women have to go and work today because the men are not working. But at the same time, stop bashing the men all the time. Also, let hold the woman responsible. Why shouldn't they not see into a man whether he is going to be a good enough father for a child and a good enough husband for her? Why not go out there and do it properly? Go and do your homework. Ensure that the person is good enough to be your husband and father of your children and then marry him and do what you have to do. Why? Why does the making of babies, children at the age of 10 years old should be a priority when you should be playing with your toys at the age of 10? Abad, that's a brilliant point indeed. And uh, then, you know, you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, moving on to the government. I, I believe the tax base is about 14, 15 percent of the population pays the, the regular taxes. But then, you know, people are not talking about the GSD or the VAT and all these things. Or you look at the sin tax that the government have imposed and uh, the levy on fuels and all that. 
I mean, they're making a sizable amount of money from all these, uh, you know, uh, different types of tax, uh, taxes they have on the side because every citizen uh, is uh, paying for that. But, uh, you know, really speaking, we know the sin tax uh, destroys the nation, destroys the fabric of the nation, especially alcoholism. How much are they making out of alcohol as a government? Any idea, Ahmad? First of all, you know, I have asked government to do an exercise. The problem is we are so pro-capitalist that it's all about profits. Even in that process that you're destroying a nation, it doesn't matter to them. Now, I said, can you do an exercise? And nobody, I think, has ever done this exercise. Can you look at the revenue that you get from alcohol and look at what it costs the fiscus, what it costs the economy by actually manufacturing and selling alcohol? And that I'm talking about the the mayhem and chaos you have as far as violence through alcohol, the gender-based violence, the number of road accidents that are alcohol-related, the social impact it has on you, uh, uh, how destructive you can become, and not only destroy yourself, you destroy your entire family. Now, if you take some of these things, all of them into consideration, the pros and cons of alcohol, you would find that the damage that it does to society far outweighs the little revenue you get. Now, we are not willing to look into that. Again, every single police station that you go, even the minister sings the same song, commissioner sings the same song, to deaf ears. No one is willing to even consider. Of course, sorry, I won't say no. I think the premier, was it in the Northwest? I think recently or so attempted to reduce the the tavern hours. And of course, the liquor board and others have been trying to now want to oppose him. But you can see the problem that is being created. You know it is. You go there, you hear from everywhere you go, you hear this. Every report that we get every quarter from police, it's there. And it shows you the, the, the effects of alcohol. All the accidents that you hear about that are uh, alcohol-related, that's in the mainstream media all the time. Why are we not willing to do anything? About it? It's exactly the same thing I ask again. Diabetes is becoming the number one killer in the country, brothers. Even though you know that you are allowing anyone and everyone to manufacture any kind of products with no oversight and quality control, put considering the health benefits of such products. Now, if you look at the cool rigs that you drink, like Coca-Cola, nine teaspoons of sugar in one can of Coke. Now, a caring government will concentrate on ensuring that those products that are not good for consumption by its people that it claims to love and care, they will put restrictions in place. They will put measures to limit the amount of sugar or damage that it may do to your health. But we won't choose. We'll choose not to do that. 
So how much clearer do you need to tell them about the devastating effects of alcohol, of sugar in all these products that you are having? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, the, the health risks, what it costs just the Department of Health in terms of these products that you are uh, selling, which you can put some measures in place. You know, you hear them saying, no, you must take sweeteners, put sweetener is better. And the next week you hear that the sweeteners are even worse than the ordinary sugar that you got in it. Mm. Who is doing anything about it? Now, you have relevant departments to deal with these things. Are they dealing with it? No, they're too busy doing things that are unimportant. But if you move to a preventative system in our country, what a beautiful society. You can straight away, can you imagine if there's no alcohol, how much your crime level will come down? How many more people's family life will be solid? How many more divorces will drop? How many more people's marriages will last longer? How many more women will not die and children will not die through the gender-based violence? If you just take one commodity, alcohol, and throw it out. So look at the money that you're getting from it. Look at the damage it's doing. Just do some research into that and you'll find we are better off without it. It's exactly the same thing again I say about firearms. And I know some of my brothers and sisters will not agree with me. But if we have a firearm gun-free South Africa, not a single person allowed to use a gun, only those that are in law enforcement until such time eventually you you, you reduce that too. How many you think you'll have all these cash and transit heists and all these robberies, armed robberies that are taking place? No. If you sort out your borders, make sure they don't commit and nobody carries a gun at all and give them stringent step sentences for any firearm found anywhere in the country. Because you can't control the firearms, like you can't control the alcohol, like you can't control the Coca-Cola and things that's damaging our people's health. You know, so taking all, and Coca-Cola is just one product I'm giving you, there's hundreds of them that we are doing very little or nothing about it. I mean... If you look at the food stuff people are going and buying at McDonald's, KFC, this and that. I mean, all these things, if we start addressing them, you'll have a healthier society, a more productive society. Okay. And, 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 and it, you know, you'll have a more, uh, there'll be more economic growth in the country because people are able, how many man hours do we lose? Just ask ourselves through alcohol. How much of man hours we lose through people drinking Coca-Cola and many other products that's creating diabetes for them? Can you just look at the damage it's doing to society? But of course, the capital system is such that it does not matter because they're going to give you a Coca-Cola to drink. You will drink it and you'll get sick. So when you get sick, they benefited by selling you making the Coca-Cola and selling you the Coca-Cola. They made it, they made money. They sold it to you, they made, uh, wholesaled it, they made money. They retailed it to you, sold money. You drank it, you got sick, they made money. You went to the, bought medicine, they made money out of that. 
After the medicine, you ended up in hospital. They owned the hospital. They made money. So you can see everywhere you look at it, they make money. Uh, that shows, uh, you know, human beings are generally in the lose-lose uh, situation. And, uh, you know, perhaps uh, the masses, Allah is with them. You know, they say if you're oppressed and uh, the uh, zulum is put on you, if you lift up your hands and the oppressed makes dua, Allah listens uh, to the dua of the oppressed. Uh, so moving on, uh, let's go overseas and uh, look at the scenarios of what's happening uh, here. Uh, it seems as if, you know, uh, uh, we be under the cosh and it seems uh, that these are people that uh, literally, literally, uh, literally are psychopaths are running the world. What will change, Ahmed? Nothing will change until we change it. Nothing in the world will change until the people in the respective countries rise and bring about that change. If you look at the number of 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 of, of deaths in, 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 in Palestine in the last 24 hours and since Tuesday, it's actually shocking. But, you know, there's almost 1,600 more people died, massacred. You think that is going to change? The United States of America is diverting the arms and ammunition that they promised Ukraine and sending it through to Israel in full view of the entire world. And nobody, let me repeat, nobody is standing up and doing anything about it. Now, smaller countries, even the Middle Eastern countries, a lot of them seem to be afraid because of the, 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 the response that you will get from the United States of America. And that is why I say, if you want peace, don't start at the bottom anymore. Go to the top. Deal with the monsters. Deal with the monsters, and that is the United States of America, the UK, with the Zionist state of Israel, deal with them. And what better way to deal with them than having a, the people of the country, of this respective countries rising. And I see that. I can see, if you look at the United States of America, 70% of the people at least support Palestine at this point in time. But... In order to do that, you need like-minded countries. And that is why I repeatedly say I am hoping that the BRICS initiative, yes, it's premature for them to act. That is what the U.S. wants. Remember, the U.S. doesn't mind if there's another war now. They don't care. They don't mind if their own people die. It's not important to them. You know, but they must get what they want. So I think if only the people can rise, and hold their governments responsible. No amount of talks will solve the problem of what's happening to the people of Palestine, in Sudan, in many other parts of the world. It's going to have to be action. And that's the way it's going to change. Nothing else is going to change. Words alone is not going to change. Is anybody willing? You know, the sad thing about it, and I think I heard a uh, one of the archbishops uh, saying this in, in the Christmas uh, sermon in Palestine. He, you know, he's raising concern. This is a Christian, a, a, you know, raising concern about how all the churches in the world are quiet. All the churches in the world are quite watching how people are being massacred in Palestine. Now, if it is coming from the Christian community, 
what stops the rest of the world, particularly the Muslim countries, from realizing that they are sitting back and doing nothing while Palestinians are being massacred. And not only being massacred, the arrogance of Benjamin Netanyahu, one man, are you telling me, Brother Shafat, in the 21st century, would technology at its best, would arms ammunition that has now been better than ever, more sophisticated than ever, and no one is able to deal with Benjamin Netanyahu. How come? How is it so? US. One man that's so arrogant that cares nothing, who can't be human, who is the root cause right now of the 21,000 people that have died, babies, innocent, over 10,000. Innocent babies. I just saw a report. One month, one day or one month old baby, brother, just died and martyred. Just born, sorry, and martyred. And nobody in the world can stand up to them. A small percentage, yes. A small percentage, but can you see how they have armed themselves when the rest of the world has got all the wealth, skills, means, everything? This handful of people are better armed than the rest of the world together. So you can see over a period of time how we have been so embroiled in our own internal factional fights and things in our own countries mm. with selfishness and greed that these people were continuously building an empire out of everything to such an extent you can't do. Now tell me. How difficult can it really be? Oh, I hear of nuclear bombs. I hear of everything. How difficult can it be to get and go target just one person, Benjamin Netanyahu, for what he is doing? You, don't you think the entire world or 90% of the world, you'll find a sigh of relief when he's no more? Your point is so powerful indeed. One person indeed, and you know, he's been causing mayhem for the past 20, 25, 30 years. Whenever he came, there was always this chaos and uh, Zulum being perpetrated. But Ahmed, let's get to the nitty gritty of the problem. I mean, you find countries like uh, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and I don't know who and who, supplying arms and ammunition to this Netanyahu to uh, perpetrate this genocide on their own people. This is our people. I'm talking about the Ummah. Now, Nabi Sallallahu said, the worst enemy in the house of Islam is the Munafikin, is the hypocrite. These people, by their very actions, not talking about the, you know, the, the majority of uh, uh, the innocent people of Pakistan are wonderful people. There's uh, wonderful people there. But we're talking about leadership now. We're talking about the, maybe the military here. And we're talking about the leadership in uh, other countries. We're not uh, talking about the ma uh, masses. So what should be done is uh, that uh, these uh, hypocrites should be taken out of the equation with the population, you know, the populace or the citizens of the country turning on them. Even, uh, you know, if they're going to take your life, you're going to die a martyr because you're fighting oppression, you're fighting battle, and you're going to try and uh, bring in goodness and you want to bring in hack and truth. And, uh, you know, Amadzi that even said that. 
He said this many, many, many years ago. He said, you know, we are eating ghee, laddu, and the biryanis, and all the kalyas. We got so much of charbi, we don't know what to do. So we start having, you know, mudslinging matches on each other. But he says the time has come. He said this so many years, 30 years ago. The time has come. All get into the room, all these panchat makers, and start having it out. The winner takes it all. Ahmed, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, what I want to say here on this point is very simple. It is an opportunity to identify those that are on the right side of life and law and those that are on the wrong side. And there is no place. There should be no place. There must be no place for those who aid a bet assist, fund, sell anything that will commit atrocities against anybody irrespective of race, religion, gender, color, whatever it is. If you want a more peaceful world, which is what I heard Putin say, President Putin, whether it will be reality, I don't know. But from within, you know, the difficulty we got and our people fail to understand that our leaders, that the West has mastered the art of dividing and ruling you. To the extent, I can tell you, my greatest fear is that Saudi Arabia is at great risk in the future. Great risk in the future in the manner in which this uh, Salman is taking that country. Now, he's going to learn the hard way, but we are all going to pay the price because of Saudi Arabia and its sacredness. And that is my fear. Now, you will fall into this trap. You know, it's a very simple exercise. If you compromise your principle once in your lifetime, you can be rest assured you'll have to compromise it another 10 times. And that 10 times will lead to another 10 times each. So the important thing here is is that those that are deliberately supplying uh, arms, uh, ammunition, or aiding these organizations directly or indirectly must be held accountable. But in that process of holding them accountable by its own countries, which is what the West will want you to do, it will want you to have internal factional fights, and then they will come in there. And that's when they will solidify their position in that particular country. That is the problem we are sitting. And people don't realize it. A good example is, Who is the so-called terrorist organization, Al-Qaeda, that they're talking about? Who created them? Who funded them? Why did they create them? All came from the U.S. (coughs) And they came back to bite the U.S. So you can see how they actually operate and how people are falling into the trap. Now, I said again, and I want to say it again, and I've seen this personally, everywhere I go, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided every country 
every province, every city or town, something different for them to be able to share with each other and live happy. Like I said, when I was in Limpopo, I saw mangoes growing out of trees where there's no grass, there's nothing. It's just dry land. But but if you look at those trees, we're packed with mangoes, leeches, and others. Now, you find that if you go to every province in South Africa, it's got something different. Some got diamonds, some got gold. Everything's got something else. Durban people coming because of the ocean, unless you move it to Joburg, of course. But the thing is, so it, it simply means that Allah provided because he knew about the needs of his people. And he provided for everybody. But our people, like Salman says, no, he's only interested in economics. Whatever they got is not enough. Rather than sharing, he doesn't have to sell it. He can share and take something from the others that they don't have. But no, it's not enough for him. He believes he's going to make money by putting more nightclubs, selling alcohol, all those things. He can't even see why. Why alcohol is not allowed. He can't see why certain lifestyles are not allowed. He can't see it. It's there for him. He's not willing to see it. And in that process, because he's amassed so much of wealth and power, he's not willing to listen to anybody. The only way he's going to listen is when he loses it all. But in that process, everybody else is going to lose when he loses it. But it'll be too late. So the people in those countries should rise at the same time protect its own interest. They must not fall into the trap where when they want to rise and take the necessary action against these people, these leaders, they must not go and get the assistance of the West who will want to come in there to assist you to cause chaos and mayhem and then eventually take control of your countries. That is why you find the whole of Africa is indebted to the West. Go and look at how much of debt they got. They got everything, but they don't control anything. What else I want to talk about is, you know, we talk about the media in general. I want to know in South Africa, we know Al Jazeera being targeted by the Zionist forces and uh, saying uh, they're too uh, pro-Palestinian and, uh, you know, giving news uh, that hurts the Zionist algorithms also. But in South Africa, I want to know how powerful is the Muslim lobby when it comes to our media or is, uh, you know, the South African media giving the Muslims a fair chance to talk, a fair hearing? Or are they slanted or are they Islamophobic? I don't think so. But to a certain extent, uh, we have uh, quite a powerful presence here. You yourself appearing on uh, many of the mainstream media. Talk to us, Ahmad. Yes, indeed. I think think we have quite a presence when it comes to particularly community radio stations and things. But I think what we need is more international exposure. And I think we need a lot more to be done from a mainstream media perspective. I mean, the media in South Africa is captured. There's no doubt about it. It's captured all over the world. And we are allowing it, even in South Africa. So that is why you... I mean, even with your social media, let's look at social media. 
all your social media is captured. I mean, they restrict how many times you can forward something, what you can do, what you can receive, what you can't. They block you when they want to and open you up when they want to. But when it comes to the mainstream media, we are lagging behind, far behind without it. You can look at the attack on, on, on Iqbal Soev in the country. But at the same time, yes, I think we are doing an exceptional piece of work as far as all our community media houses are concerned. But I think we need to expand on that. But not only expand on that, but we need to expand in every sector. I was actually shocked, I must tell you, yesterday. I was speaking to a very influential person. And um, and uh, so I said to him, you know, we are... Yeah, he stopped selling Coca-Cola, and I said, yes, I, I don't drink it. Uh, you know, we are boycotting these products. And then I said, well, I was there the other day. They gave us some Kui to drink, only to find out that Kui is now belongs to PepsiCo. They sold it through to PepsiCo, so it means you have to boycott that one. And then I <laughs> said to him, why don't you take Jive and take it all over the country, only to find out that he says, Jive is also taken over by them. Jive also belongs to PepsiCo, so there's nothing. And then I said, but then what are we left with? What are we really left with? Why are we allowing ourselves, you understand, to find ourselves in this position that everything is captured? Because I thought, well, listen, there's an opportunity for the other products that we have to expand all over the country, okay? only to find that, no, they've also sold out to PepsiCo, you know. So you can see how much more work needs to be done that people on the ground don't really know, even though we have so many media houses, that message is not going around. Nobody has gone to the extent of, of scrutinizing all these products because we think that we want to boycott one and we're having the second one only to find the second one also belongs to them and the third one also belongs to them. So directly or indirectly, there's very little you can consume. Now, this is where I believe the media must come in. They have to come in if we want to have a targeted boycott of products in the country. But very importantly, I think, as far as the message is concerned, as far as Palestine is concerned, I must give credit to all the media stations that we've had, all the community radio stations, all the social media groups, of course, alhamdulillah, that we have, you know, they are all the time, 24 hours a day, you know, they are, 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 are indicating the latest developments, uh, events that are taking place all over. I think that to a very large extent is playing a pivotal role in, uh, in educating people not just locally, but internationally, as to what is really going on in the world. So for the first time, it is because of media and, of course, with the restrictions in place, but more importantly, social media, that the world is waking up to exactly the realities of what the world is all about. Yes, Ahmed, uh, brilliant indeed. And, uh, you know, the point to make here is, uh, well, we captured all round and, uh, you know, we... uh, are surrounded uh, by the Zionist Brigade, and perhaps uh, they know what they are doing, uh, 
Ahmad, and you know, you've been uh, brilliant this morning as uh, usual. I mean, this evening, Allah bless you, Allah keep you. And uh, you know, perhaps a, a powerful question to ask you Did you ever dream in your lifetime that you know you'll be someone uh, that the whole world will be listening to you, that your message will go to uh, the four corners of the globe, and uh, that uh, you know, perhaps you'll also, uh, you know, you are an influencer with many, many people? Did you ever? have that inkling, Ahmad, when you're a small lighty? <laughs> I must be honest, no. But I did. Um, what I do know that from a very early stage, uh, I was always wanting to be there, uh, particularly when somebody needs you. And that's why at a very early stage, I was involved in ACT-STOP, you know, the Action Committee to Stop Evictions and many other institutions, Crisis Care Line and whatever it is. But again, I want to say to you, my greatest, and maybe I should mention it to feel better, my greatest regret in life and only regret in life, I was very, very young. And I had the opportunity of dreaming of our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But I did not appreciate and understand at that very young age the value of that dream. And it bugs me up to, to, up to this very day. That I did not appreciate the value of that dream that I had at a very, very young age. That's my only regret there. You know, I, I think uh, we all have that gut feeling, uh, but I'm going to let you go. Uh, you got a little bit of, a, you know, uh, irritation in the throat. Maybe, uh, you know, your whole year, you need to give it a break to Ahmed. Your parting, <laughs> your, your, your parting words this uh, evening. Well, two things, my brothers and sisters, or, or three things. One, don't forget, if you haven't registered to vote, please do so. You can't separate politics from the way of life. You have to be part of the solution unless... Otherwise, we will lose this country to the Zionists, I can assure you. Number two, it's another long weekend coming. Accidents, please stay. Try as much as possible to stay off the roads, particularly at night when you're tired and exhausted. I want to urge you all to rest. Even if you're driving for 200 kilometers, stop 15 minutes rest, then move on. And don't try to be a hero. Uh, because you'll end up doing, being zero. Don't try to overtake, be reckless. I know we all drive, some of us drive very luxury cars in Costco, but don't. And lastly, lots of us make lots and lots to us for our Palestinian brothers and sisters and the Ummah all over the world who might be going through difficult times that inshallah Allah will ensure their freedom, will ensure their dignity, will en- protect them. Uh, our Palestinian brothers and sisters need a lot of our du'as. They need us to rise. They need us to protest. They need to see the courage uh, with which we stand up for them. And at least that little, you know, I've heard the other day someone say to us that when they they are so grateful for the role that South Africans are playing in their struggle for freedom. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to Ahmad Mandul Sheikh Imam. Allah keep him blessed now and forever and give him the strength and the power to continue as he always does. And uh, a big uh, thank you to Lukolo for Top Tech uh, this evening. Keep it locked on to Madka Sahaba for beautiful programming. From the team and I, till we meet you again, uh, we bid you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.